And, uh, and so I'm going to invite you, we're going we're gonna to meditate on this for, for a few minutes today. Um, I'm going to talk about the implications of it. Um, and then, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it for, for, for you to process, I think. Um, one of the things about the Christ hymn is that it is so deep and so rich, this passage in Philippians, that we could spend months on it, um, and not unpackage everything that Paul is saying. But let's go ahead and, and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Having this mind among yourselves, or this way of thinking, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not think it, uh, it did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We're going to talk about the verb that's there. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all, above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you join me in a word of prayer? Father, once again, we go to your word. May you, um, may you speak to us as only you can. Uh, words on a page are meaningless without your spirit guiding us. Lord, help us to be united in your spirit and your word. Uh, Lord, to serve others, to, to serve you, uh, to devote ourselves to the, to the work um, that you've called us to in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have to give a quick disclaimer just in case. You guys know I do this sometimes. So um, on Friday, I had a temporary crown put in, uh, which still hurts um, because my doctor learned to do crowns in 1965. And he has a method of doing them that is, I believe, uh, also on the list of Al-Qaeda techniques for torture. Um, so, so my gums are swollen, um, and this morning I was standing up from breakfast and threw my back out. Um, so, so I am in pain in multiple locations in my body. So we won't be here terribly long, um, but uh, but I am I'm capable to operate, uh, and so at least until the ibuprofen runs out. Um, but I want to talk about this. Pa- Paul says. He, he, he opens this thing with have this mind uh, in you in verse 5. Uh, have this mind among yourselves. And really the word is uh, this way of thinking, this, this view of the world. And he's going back to chapter 1 and verse 27 when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word manner of life is, is derives from the, the Greek word polis. Um, it is how you live as a citizen. Um, your behavior, your conduct, um, but also your place um, in the world, where you fit in in the world. And he says, so in order for you to be, um, to have the manner of life that will bring glory to Christ, you have to have this mind together. And when he talks in verse 3, verse 2, he talks about being of the same mind, having the same love. That same mind is the same word that he uses down here in verse 5, have this mind which is in you. 
And he's talking about a thought process. Now what he's not talking about is us all being brainwashed drones, copying exactly the same thing, doing the same thing. Um, I talked with Nicole and Bob both this week um, about how uh, one, of the, one of the things that Brian uh, said to us, said to me as he was leaving, Brian Simmons, he said, I have never belonged to a otter church. Um, and one of the reasons that I think Bedford Road is so odd and so peculiar is that we do our best to focus on Christ as the center of our being and not try to force people to conform to the image of the ideal Christian. So there are all different kinds of people doing all kinds of different things at all kinds of different stages in life, and some of it irritates me to no end. Some of it irritates you to no end. But what God is doing is bigger than our preferences and our opinions, and so we back up and we say, but God is at work. Christ is being manifest. The same mind is at work. We have the same mind. Ultimately, when it boils down to it, we're all focused on bringing glory to Christ. He says, so have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what he's about to do is to talk about what Paul believes is Jesus' approach to his incarnation and life. Now, you need to understand that folded into this is a lot of theology. Paul is, Paul is giving basically something that's just been wrapped up, and every layer that you open up, it's going to open new avenues and new thoughts and new ideas. And Paul actually, he takes, um, he takes the Greek language and he kind of massages it a little bit. Um, he kind of he gets it to kind of stick out, to be a little weird. And so translating this into English is really tough because we're used to translating according to kind of standard definitions, and Paul is kind of nudging words. He's kind of giving them a little bit of extra meaning. Um, and, and you, I mean, you deal with your, you know, you, if you have teenagers, you know that, that this is part of human language. We like to nudge words out of their, their comfort zone. We like to make them mean other things. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, how many of you remember when, when something that was really cool was called boss, right? That was a phase in the 80s. I was like, oh, that's so boss. That was a dumb word. It made no, it made no sense whatsoever. Um, but when I moved to New England, uh, one of the things that I encountered in New England was that everybody used, everybody my age used the word wicked um, as, as uh, what linguists call a multisyntactic variable. Now, um, if, if you need to know what a multisyntactic variable is, uh, watch the TV show The Smurfs. I smurf this, smurfy, you know, they did that thing. It is a word that can function in any piece of grammar. So it can be a noun, a, an adverb, a verb. It can be. And when I, w- when I moved to New, uh, to New England in 1992, everybody was using the word wicked as a multi-syntactic, oh, that's wicked, wicked, whoa, wicked cool, we wicked, I mean, they, they were just doing it, and I got to a point, I said to one of my friends, I said, where did this come from, because it's stupid, and, and he, said, he said, well, you know, this is just how we talk, language gets bumped and nudged, and that's how language is, and Paul is a master of taking language and kind of pushing it to its edge. So when you're reading it, you can understand what he's saying, but there's also a lot more going on in what he says. And so he says to them here, and he picks it up, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
Now, this is one of those moments where he takes a word and he's going to massage it a little bit and there's no easy way to translate it into English. The Greek word morphe, um, which is the word that Morpheus comes from, so, you know, if you're a Matrix fan, um, but, but he, this, this word morphe, it does not mean the outside shape of something, but rather the full substance of a thing. So a form is not just the outside, but everything that's inside that makes it that form. And so the form is all that something is. So when we read that he was in the form of God, don't read that as if, well, he looked like God or he was shaped like God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus was God through and through. So though he was in the form of God, he did not, and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now this verb, grasp, is, and, and, and nerds argue constantly about how a word should be translated. Um, but the word that's grasped, if you have an old King James Bible, you see it says, um, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Um, and and that's, that's a pretty good meaning of the word too. But the idea is... is um, if you think of thought it not robbery, think of somebody stealing, uh, uh, stealing something from a jewelry, you know, a jewelry store, big jewelry heist. As they're grabbing those diamonds, how do they grab them? Loosely, casually. How are they going to grab that stuff they're stealing? They're gonna grab hold of it, bag it. It's ours. We're taking it. There's no. It's like oh, you know. It is. It is grab and take hold. It is smaug level of holding on to things that you grab onto it and you hold it. And this is I'm going to steal them. And why do you hold on tightly to something that you stole? Because you know it's not yours. You know you watch the movies and you got the you know the guy runs by and snatches the purse from the lady and he's running down and they're fighting over the purse because he's holding on tight to it because he stole it. When that's the idea that Paul is using with this word grasped. Um, and what, he, what he's really trying to say is though, God, though Jesus is in the form of God, he did not hold tightly, he did not feel the necessity to clench onto his divinity. He, he had no problem opening his hand. He had no problem releasing, though he was in the form of God, letting go of the equality with God understand what that means to a Gentile audience in Philippi. That the God of the Old Testament, all right, that the God of the Old Testament, though he, he could be the judge and jury of the Gentiles, did not think hold his divinity so tight that he would not come and take on the form of a servant to save them. This, this is tremendously, it crosses racial barriers, this idea that God, that God is not so intensely, and you've got to get this, and it's difficult to express it, but that Jesus is not so desperate to be God that he is clinging on to every little piece of being God. God Jesus is so incredibly comfortable being God that he doesn't hold it tightly. Because it's part of who he is. He doesn't have to hold on and go, no, 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 I don't want to go. 
Sometimes we tell this story of, you know, Jesus talking with God and how he's going to go save the world. And, you know, they, they, people tell the stories, you know, God said, who would save the people? And, and Jesus stands up and says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll become one of them. And I, that is not what happened. Jesus did not go, well, if nobody else can save him, I will. That, that is not how it worked. The, the Apostle John describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. That it is naturally in Christ's character. It is naturally in his being and his person to be Savior. It is who he is. And so he would never cling on to, I've got to stay God, because that's not who he is. He is fa- he is in the form of God, but he does not cling on. He does not grip. He holds it loosely, being equal with God. How confident is Jesus in who he is? And think about the application for the Philippians. How confident are you in Jesus that you do not need to cling tightly, but rather you can hold loosely to what you can claim rightfully. You can claim. And Jesus could claim equality with God and do so rightfully. He had every right to that title, but he holds it loosely. He surrenders it. He gives it up. He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Theologians argue endlessly about what Paul meant by emptied himself. Did he empty himself of his divine nature? Um, No, because God doesn't change. So he did not surrender. What does it mean? Emptied himself as a figure of speech. It means that he, he brought himself to nothing. If you are, if you do not count it robbery to be equal with God, and you are born in a, in a manger, in a guest room, to a teenage girl and her carpenter husband, you have emptied yourself. He takes on, in fact it says, by taking the form of a servant. That, and again, form, all right? He was in the form of God, same word. Taking on himself the form of a servant. Not just taking on the servant of a man, but the shape of a man, but to fully be a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, different word, all right, this is his appearance, what he, what he looked like. So being found, being perceived, being seen in human form. He is thoroughly human, but being seen human, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What does that mean? Well, I don't know if you know this, but the cross was the slave's death. It was the ultimate humiliation of a Roman citizen for his citizenship to be stripped and to be crucified because only slaves and thieves were crucified. That was who you crucified by law. It was the ultimate humiliation when the Roman armies under Titus marched into Jerusalem and crucified the Jews 
because what they were saying was Jews are no better than slaves. So when Jesus took on the form of a servant, part of the crucifixion was the declaration that he was willing to be a servant. He was fully and completely a servant. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now understand that this is not God has exalted him higher than he was before. But God has brought him back to the position of exaltation that is rightfully his. That he did not hold tightly to knowing that it was part of who he was. There was no way it could be taken. He did not have to hold on to his divinity when he became a man. He did not have to do any of that stuff but rather because of who he was. Jesus being the form of God Jesus being the form of a servant, though humanity would reduce him and call him a slave, he remained fully God and fully man, and after the crucifixion was raised, raised back to his highly exalted position and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This does not mean that everybody will do that voluntarily. It means that confronted with the highly exalted, true God the Son, he who is, uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He who emptied himself, that all humanity will bow whether they choose to or not. Now what Paul is doing here, and he's massaging the language, he is taking the imagery of the Roman emperor. He is appropriating it for Jesus. Now you've got to understand who was emperor at this time. The emperor was a spoiled rich kid named Nero, who at one point during the reign of the previous, uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the previous emperor, Claudius, um, who was an old paranoid man, had been stripped of all of his power. His mother had been exiled from the kingdom along with a statesman named Seneca. And they had been sent to this little island. He had been living in isolation. And then when Claudius was dying, there was nobody left. And so they took Nero and they elevated him. But they made sure that Nero had all of these people over him, kind of making sure that he didn't get in any trouble because Nero was a little off balance. Um, and, and so there was, a, there was a, a praetorian prefect whose job was to kind of rein him in. And his mother was really, really controlling. And then as soon as Nero was old enough, he started killing these people. Mysteriously, they died of odd causes, like, you know, poison. And um, he, his mother, he tried to kill his mother by building a ship that fell apart. Um, and then he tried to kill her by having her bedroom uh, walls weakened so that the ceiling would fall on her. And then finally, he just sent somebody to stab her. Um, Nero, Nero was a, was, was, odd but he came from nothing he had been stripped of everything and he had been exalted and Nero knew that so Nero made sure that everybody bowed when Nero walked by 
He made sure that everybody knew he was Augustus. He made sure that he dressed and attired. And it was funny because he was a kid. He was only like in his early 20s when Paul arrives in Rome. And Nero insisted that everybody treat him like he was an exalted senator and conquering general. And he was, I mean, he was basically a frat boy. And, but he, wanted, he wore the thickest robes and everybody, and the praetorians would go in before him um, with, with, and this is not a derogative, derogative term, I don't, I don't want to make it, it the, word's gonna, the word has acquired um, sense, but there was this thing called the faggot, it was this set of, of sticks that they would carry. He made sure that he had more people carrying that thing than anybody else, so as he went down the street for half a mile ahead of him, there were people with these sticks on, on, on spikes telling everybody that Caesar was coming. And everybody had to bow, and everybody had to kneel, and he wanted everybody to know that he was the man. And Paul goes, you know what? There's a name exalted above every name. And the one who carries that name, he didn't think it was robbery to be counted equal with God. Nero, by the way, tried to get the Senate to declare him a god while he was still alive. And Jesus, he's, Paul says there was one who thought it not robbery. He just let it go. He became a servant. He didn't exalt himself as a master and a ruler. He, he became a servant. He, he was lowered to the lowest possible level of the Roman world. God has highly exalted him. And the knees will bow not because Jesus says he wants everybody to bow, but because it will be an irresistible presence of a glorified Son of God. Um, when, we, when we read this from him, understand what Paul's application is. His application is that we have the same mind of Christ. That we not hold tightly to what we are entitled to and instead be willing to submit to even the form of a servant and the most debased humiliation in the belief that God will put us where God calls us to be wants us to be for Christ it was to be highly exalted every knee would bow for us that's not it there will be no praise for us you know that there will be no moment in heaven when everybody goes around and says boy, good job there you go way to rock the only thing we will get is well done my good and faithful servant. Slave. That's all we will get. Now, the scriptures say that we will receive victor's crowns, that like, like the, the, emperor, the uh, Olympic athletes with the, the wreath of, of branches, and then we will take them and throw them at the feet of Christ because the glory isn't ours. The celebration isn't ours. Everything that we, that we could hope to achieve is meaningless in the presence of Christ. 
And let me give you one more piece, and, and I'm trying to give you a bunch of things to just unpack this verse. But this is the description of Hesed. When he who has everything, all right, gives every, he gives everything to one who has nothing. Well, Jesus, he had claim to everything, and yet he gives us all everything by making himself nothing. And you can just unpack that and unfold that and think about. He could have done it any number of ways. He did it this way to teach us the mind, I think, the mind of Christ. Now here's where the application matters because Paul knew what was coming. Paul knew within a couple of years he would be um, probably executed. Paul definitely knows that that's coming by the time he writes First and Second Timothy and Titus. Um, Nero is off base, and Paul is a prisoner of the emperor. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about the Praetorians, that Paul would have had to walk to the Palatine Hill every day to see whether Nero would try his case or not. That's why he knows all the Praetorians, because every day he's being walked to the, to the hill, waiting for Nero. Nero doesn't show. Nero walks by. Paul has to bow because he's a Roman citizen. And then Paul goes back to his house and has to wait. And then the next day he has to do it over and over and over again. He knows this guy is off balance. He knows that thing, bad things are coming. And bad things were coming. And we as Christians, we have to understand that our calling is not to the times when we get to enjoy things like religious freedom and all the things that, all the joys that we've had as, as um, in a country like the United States. Our calling is not just to those times. Our calling isn't to the times when all the laws conform to our thinking and our mindset. Our calling is specifically to the times when we are to be humbled as servants in a world that is willing to crucify us. That's what Christ reminds us. That's what Christ's mind is. Christ's mind is not, you know, celebrate all the privilege you have. Christ's mind is the suffering. And honestly, we, the American church, we have not suffered in a long time. We are a very privileged group. But the church in the world, and it is coming here, we will be in a time when if we do not have the mind of Christ, we will not be able to face the challenges that arise. It was terrible to talk to a computer screen for two months, and I am so glad there are people here. But if that's the worst discomfiture I have in my entire Christian ministry, it's really nothing. It's really nothing. And so we, we are called to this mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word.
Above all, thank you for your son, Jesus, um, who humbled himself in ways that we cannot even imagine and called us to his mind. May you be glorified in all we say and do um, as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, with all that said...